Weather Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report for WFHB. I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. And for our feature today, we will hear part two of WFHB reporter Katrine Bruner's feature about a federal lawsuit against Indianapolis Power and Light Company. That's coming up later in the program, but first your environmental headlines. Trump's Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, has weakened yet another safeguard against air pollution in the midst of a respiratory pandemic. The agency finalized a rollback of the Clinton-era once-in-always-in policy that required major polluters like industrial plants and refineries to maintain the highest possible levels of pollution controls as long as they continue to operate, Reuters reported. Quote, this is a lawless action that will undoubtedly increase carcinogens and other deadly pollution in our air, end quote. Clinton EPA Administrator Carol Browner said in a statement reported by The Hill, quote, taking this action during a global pandemic that preys upon people with existing respiratory ailments further confirms that for Andrew Wheeler and the political leadership of the EPA, the cruelty is the point, end quote. The 1995 policy required that major polluters use maximum achievable control technology standards throughout the lifetime of their operations. The new policy will allow these facilities to use less stringent standards after they reduce emissions. The so-called major sources that reduce their emissions of hazardous air pollutants will be reclassified as area sources, emitters like gas stations or dry cleaners that emit less than 10 tons of a single pollutant or 25 tons of multiple pollutants each year. This action reduces regulatory burden and provides a level of fairness and flexibility for sources that reduce emissions below major source thresholds and reclassify as area sources, the agency explained. EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler argues that the change would incentivize companies to invest in better technology to reduce emissions. Quote, Today's action is an important step to further President Trump's regulatory reform agenda by providing meaningful incentives for investment that prevents hazardous air pollution, end quote, he said in a statement reported by The Hill. However, Natural Resources Defense Council's senior attorney, John Walk, said the reversal was entirely unnecessary. He said plants had already installed emission reduction technology and had been maintaining the requirement that they reduce pollution 95 to 98 percent for decades. It's the imposition of extreme ideology over public health, common sense, and the law. 
Walk said further on Twitter that the rollback would allow plants to emit two to ten times more hazardous air pollutants than before. This includes toxins like mercury, lead, arsenic, asbestos, and benzene, which can cause cancer, brain damage, fetal damage, and premature death. The EPA itself acknowledges the new policy would result in over 1,200 tons of additional pollutants entering the air each year. The Sierra Club pointed out that the change would disproportionately impact low-income communities and communities of color, which tend to live closer to polluting plants. It comes as scientists warn that exposure to air pollution might increase the risk of dying of the new coronavirus and that black and Hispanic Americans are contracting and dying of the new virus at higher rates. A new study from the Regional Activity Center for Sustainable Consumption and Production alerts people that toxic chemicals in common plastic consumer products and packaging can result in harm to human health and damage to the environment. The report notes that exposure to even small amounts of chemical additives in plastics could result in cancer, damage to the immune and reproductive systems, impaired intellectual functioning, and developmental delays. Such additives as flame retardants and perfluorinated chemicals are among those the report identifies as dangerous. They're present in children's toys, food packaging, electronics, textiles, and more. The chemicals are hazardous throughout the product's life cycle in production, recycling, landfilling, and incineration. The report urges industries producing harmful plastics to take responsibility for finding non-toxic alternatives. It also recommends greater transparency in the labeling of plastics that contain chemical additives. Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden on Wednesday vowed to bar from his transition team any leaders of fossil fuel companies, a pledge environmentalists cautiously applauded while urging the former vice president to go further by committing to banning all big oil lobbyists and executives from both his transition team and cabinet. Quote, rejecting fossil fuel influence is a smart move for the Biden-Harris campaign, end quote. Charlie Jiang, climate campaigner with Greenpeace USA, said in a statement Thursday, quote, Voters are hungry to elect a climate champion. Joe Biden is running on the most ambitious climate platform in history, but it doesn't mean much if his transitions team is stacked with oil and gas insiders, end quote. In a document entitled Biden-Harris Transition Team Ethics Plan, the campaign states that in addition to instituting a robust code of ethical conduct, Vice President Biden aims to ensure that those who serve are aligned with his values and policy priorities and have not, for example, been leaders at fossil fuel or private prison companies. But the ethics plan falls well short of adhering to the list of demands issued last month by a coalition of nearly 150 climate organizations which urged Biden to ban all fossil fuel executives, lobbyists, and representatives from any advisory or official position on his campaign, transition team, cabinet, and administration if elected president. 
In the latest effort to stop the Keystone XL pipeline, the Great Plains Tribal Chairman's Association wrote to the insurance company Liberty Mutual CEO, David Long, to demand that the company immediately cut ties with the pipeline, which Liberty Mutual is insuring. Without insurance, the Keystone XL can't be built legally. The Chairman's Association represents the leaders of 16 sovereign tribal nations whose land, water, and treaty rights the pipeline threatens. Liberty Mutual has issued a $15.6 million bond to TC Energy, the company behind the pipeline, providing essential insurance coverage for its construction. As the tribal leaders made clear in their letter to David Long, the Keystone XL is a threat to the treaty rights, culture, and way of life of the Great Plains tribes. Besides, it would endanger wildlife, including endangered species, and be catastrophic for the fight against the climate crisis. The Chairman's Association has two demands. One, that Liberty Mutual immediately end its relationship with the Keystone XL pipeline project, and two, that David Long meet with the indigenous leaders to discuss Liberty Mutual's ongoing support of the tar sand sector overall. Governor Laura Kelly of Kansas touted job creation, opportunities to expand wind farming, and potential savings for ratepayers with construction of an electric transmission line to move power from western Kansas to consumers in Missouri, Illinois, and Indiana. She joined transmission developer Invenergy to outline benefits of Grain Belt Express, which is a 780-mile project designed to transfer 4,000 megawatts of wind-powered electricity from the rural plains to population centers. The project has been mired in legal and political battles for years, but is moving forward and is near being fully approved. Kelly said the project would create in Kansas an estimated 22,500 temporary jobs during the three-year construction and nearly 1,000 permanent jobs as the system went online. She said Kansans would earn $1.6 billion in salaries during construction and $54 million annually when the system is operational. According to Greenpeace UK's Unearthed Investigation and the Swiss NGO Public Eye, two extraordinarily toxic pesticides, Paraquat and 1,3-dichloropropene, are illegal for use in the EU, but chemical companies are exporting them to other countries, including the U.S. Syngenta exports Paraquat, which is fatal in small doses, if ingested and can harm the lungs, eyes, kidneys, and heart after long-term exposure. Inoven, a subsidiary of the chemical company Ineos, has been exporting the soil fumigate 1,3-dichloropropene. Banned in the EU because of the threats it poses to wildlife and groundwater, it is also a suspected carcinogen. About 40% of the exports of these and similar products came from the UK in 2018. Exporting these products is legal despite the restrictions on their use in Europe, but environmentalists want the practice banned because of the probable damage to the importing countries. Some of the pesticides go to developing countries, but large amounts go to developed ones. Both the US and Australia buy Paraquat. 
There is an element of racism in the practice of exporting pesticides. In the U.S., farm workers who are predominantly migrants and people of color experience more chemical-related illnesses and injuries than any other group of workers. Some 40% of the world's species of plants are threatened with extinction, the Royal Botanic Gardens says in a new report. Previous research in 2016 showed that 20% of plant species are under threat, but the, quote, State of the World's Plants and Fungi 2020, unquote, report draws on the work of over 200 scientists from 44 countries to reveal the scale of the problem using improved data and methodology. Quote, deforestation rates have soared as we have cleared land to feed ever more people. Global emissions are disrupting the climate system. New pathogens threaten our crops and our health. Illegal trade has eradicated entire plant populations, and non-native species are out-competing local floras, end quote, according to the report from the Royal Botanical Gardens, which carries out scientific research into plants and fungi, as well as running a renowned botanical garden in West London. There's good news regarding the potential impact of the coming flu season, in the Southern Hemisphere, which is almost entirely through their flu season, the case counts are very low. For example, there have been a total of 21,000 confirmed cases of influenza in Australia for 2020 at mid-September. Last year, over the same period, the case count in Australia was nearly 300,000. The situation is similar in most countries in the Southern Hemisphere. The reasons given for the drop in cases include people wearing masks and social distancing. The USDA's forecast for corn and soybeans, published in mid-September, reveals a good year for Indiana farmers. Indiana's corn yield is forecast at 186 bushels per acre. Total production is forecast at 977 million bushels, up 20% from a year ago. Soybean yield in Indiana is forecast at 60 bushels per acre. Total production is forecast at 341 million bushels, up 25% from last year. And now for our feature today, we will hear part two of WFHB reporter Katrine Bruner's story about a federal lawsuit against Indianapolis Power and Light Company. In our last program, WFHB correspondent Katrine Bruner brought you part one of her feature on a federal lawsuit against Indianapolis Power and Light. You heard from an environmental activist on allegations that the company violated the Clean Air Act. In part two, Bruner speaks with an environmental expert on the coal-fired power plant's alleged violations. You will now hear from Janet McCobb, director of Indiana University's Environmental Resilience Institute, about why the Clean Air Act is in place and why companies need to follow it. We turn to WFHB correspondent Katrine Bruner for more. Director of Indiana University's Environmental Resilience Institute and professor at IU McKinney School of Law, Janet McCabe, provided her educated insights on the subject. McCabe has spent a career in air quality, environmental regulation, and policy, having worked at IDEM for air quality and the U.S. EPA Office of Air and Radiation. 
McCabe stated that air pollution has been in communities and Indiana since the country moved into the industrial age, and explained how creating laws such as the Clean Air Act in 1960 to protect public health and the environment has created, quote, a really clear but pretty flexible and workable framework for the federal governments and state governments to work together to reduce air pollution in states across the country, end quote. These laws, which lead to things like permitting programs and rules that set standards and expectations on what industry can emit um, and how they're supposed to check that and how they're supposed to be transparency to that, have really improved air quality in our state immeasurably um, over the last 50 years. Although we still have areas of the state that don't meet federal health standards for air pollution, and we have sort of micro areas of air pollution, and there are new pollutants that people weren't thinking about in 1970, including the climate-related pollutants like carbon dioxide. So uh, we still have a ways to go, but we have these important laws in place that help us make sure that people are doing the right thing and not burdening the public with health and environmental impacts uh, without doing as much as possible to reduce those. In the lawsuit, EPA made allegations that IPL was committing two types of violations. One, that the company made changes at the facility that should have been gone through a permitting review. And two, that when emitting pollution, they violated the opacity limit, which is how much smoke a factory or power plant can emit. McCabe stated that they are, quote, both important and serious requirements, end quote. McCabe explained the importance of having enforcement present with issues that have to do with damage to the environment. You know, enforcement is important. It's good to see uh, the government moving forward to settle these violations. Every enforcement case is different and very fact-specific. So it's very hard for me to say the penalty is just right or too much or too little. So I can't really comment on that. Settlements are supposed to, or enforcement actions are supposed to do what they can to correct the environmental harm that happened, but also provide a disincentive for the company to violate again in the future. And systems allow for companies to, instead of paying all of the potential fine money in fine money, to use some of that, or uh, actually they have to use more if they're going to do something other than pay a fine, to do something good to help reduce air pollution or address um, air pollution in the location. The lawsuit includes a penalty in the form of $1.5 million and building an alternative energy source on the property and buying property and giving it to the Patoka National Wildlife Refuge. In terms of fairness, McCabe said that she questions whether the penalty is enough to make up for years of pollution damage. When the government does these consent decrees, they have to put them out for public comment. And I don't know whether anybody's going to comment on it, but if if I were going to comment on it, the kinds of things I would want to look into is, does this penalty seem in line with other penalties that the agencies have levied for these kinds of violations? And as I said, that's that's awfully hard for us. civilian to determine because these things are so fact-specific. You know, the way that power generation is going these days is that fossil-fired plants, coal-fired plants are moving away from coal and they're moving towards renewable energy. And so if IPL planning to move away from these coal units anyway and into these renewable energy, is this something they were planning to do anyway? In which case, 
it's not that much of a penalty for them, right? Because it's something they were they were planning to do anyway. McCabe went on to ask the question of whether the community was involved in the lawsuit before making final or more final decisions. The other question that I would have is, did the agencies consult at all with the communities around this plant in determining these supplemental environmental projects? And were people comfortable, you know, did people agree that these were um, good things or were there other things that the local community might have put on the table as worth considering in terms of supplemental environmental projects? And I don't know the answer to that either. When looking at the big picture with air pollution, McCabe explained why it is so important for everyone to learn about and how it affects not only the people near a power plant, such as IPL, but just people living in a modern society that has come to terms with its high pollution since the start of the Industrial Revolution. We all benefit from electricity. We use it all the time. It's really important for modern society. But we're all affected by the pollution from these plants. And some people are affected more than others. So the people who live near these plants are more affected by the day-to-day air pollution. And, you know, when you said, is this enough to make up for the violation, said it isn't. Well, the extra sulfur dioxide and nitrogen oxides that people breathe during these time periods and the asthma attacks they had or however it affected them, you, you can't get those back right? They, they happened, it's gone. So a really important thing is that enforcement is there to make sure that companies don't do this in the future and that other companies see that the environmental cop is on the beat. And if they don't comply with the laws, that somebody will catch them and make them fix it and make them pay a penalty. So that's a fairness thing for other companies that are working hard to comply with the, with the laws. So it's important for people to know about this. It's important for people to know that An important role of government is to watch over these plants because people, regular people, there's no way for them to tell. It's not like, you know, you can see on the highway if somebody's speeding, everybody can sort of tell whether somebody's speeding. A, A regular person looking at a power plant would have no idea whether they were complying with the law or not. So you need... Um, the government to do that, and then you need them to follow through. McCabe went on to explain that although government enforcement is important, it is also critical that the community affected by lawsuits such as this have the rights and availability to voice their concerns and opinions. But the government processes should be as transparent as possible, too, so that citizens have the ability to make their own judgments about whether government is doing a good enough job. And so the public comment process is really important there. And if organizations like yours aren't covering these stories, how is the general public going to know that there's a comment period out there? They're not. So, so that would be my answer. The future of renewable energy looks promising, and the fear of climate change alone has motivated many government officials to support renewable energy projects with incentives and has pushed companies such as IPL to make the transition as well. Assuming IPL follows this trend of going towards renewable energy, they could be contributing to a brighter future for the health of new generations. For WFHB, I'm Katrine Bruner. Thanks for listening. For Eco Report, I'm Sarah Callanan. And I'm Patrick Callanan. Support for Eco Report comes from Blooming Foods Market and Deli, Bloomington's locally grown co op grocery since 1976, offering products with a focus on local, fair trade, natural, and organic, with support for farmers, producers, agencies, and artisans. 
Blooming Foods Market and Deli on East 3rd Street near College Mall, West 6th Street near the Courthouse Square, and Shreve Hall on the Ivy Tech campus. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at EcoReport, we are currently looking for reporters and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for our events calendar. If you have never had the pleasure of crawling through Wolf Cave in McCormick's Creek State Park, your chance is coming up on Saturday, October 10th, from 1.30 to 3 p.m. Join Jessica in front of the Nature Center for the Wolf Cave Crawl. Bring a headlamp or flashlight. You'll probably get dirty. An Owl Callers program will be presented at the Town State Recreation Area at Monroe Lake on Saturday, October 10th from 7 to 8 p.m. Meet at the campground playground to listen to the calls made by several owls found at Monroe Lake. Join Friends of Goose Pond and Indiana Department of Natural Resources in observing and recording birds during the virtual Big Sit from 7.30 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. on Sunday, October 11th. The Big Sit is an international event focused on recording all bird observations at one location over the course of a day. Anyone can virtually attend for free and participate. Register at friendsofgoosepond.org slash big-sit for the Zoom broadcast and tune in as your schedule allows. Enjoy a snake chat at Brown County State Park on Thursday, October 15th from 2 to 2.40 p.m. Meet at the Friends Shelter just outside the Nature Center to learn about a few of Indiana's native snakes. Please be aware that live snakes may be present during the program. Go foraging in the fall at the RCA Community Park on Sunday, October 18th from 1 to 2.30 p.m. for a leisurely walk while discovering the edible bounty of the forest in the fall. Wear comfortable walking shoes and bring a water bottle. Register by October 13th at bloomington.in.gov parks. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Today's feature was produced by WFHB reporter Katrine Bruner, 
David Lyman wrote the script, and Linda Green and Patrick Callanan edited it. Juliana Daly compiled the events. Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report. A volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB. In Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source. For South Central Indiana. Bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.